0: ideas of how they can uh, minister in, um, you know, the home groups. You know, my heart for those is that the people in those home groups begin to think of how they can reach, um, you know, maybe the neighborhood they're in or or have some smaller outreaches and some creative ways that they can bless people and minister to people, Um, because that's really what we've been talking about uh, over the last several weeks. Uh, in 2 Corinthians is what is real ministry. And ministry is really the theme of 2 Corinthians. And I think when we're done with Corinthians, some of you are probably going to think, man, anything but ministry. We can talk about anything, you know, homosexuality, divorce, you know, I don't care what we talk about. Let's talk about something different than ministry for a change. And it's there. It's the theme. And when we teach through books of the Bible, I don't want to just, you know, teach a text and and talk about whatever I want to talk about, you know, just sort of like springboard into something else. I I try to be true to the text. I try to um, be true to the theme of that book. And so it will come out. We don't do series, you know, 10 weeks on on how to um, be a minister. But this series really is that. It's how to be a minister. It's how to be involved in ministry. It's what is real ministry. And, and that theme is going to come out as we go through this book. And we've seen uh, lots of different aspects of ministry as we're going through uh, Second Corinthians. We've talked about the difficulties in real ministry. We've talked about the battle against real ministry. We've talked about what is real ministry and how does... How does it look? How is it characterized? And I think the reason that Paul places such an emphasis on ministry in this book is because Paul realized that the church of Corinth was a grease fire. This church was an amazingly gifted church. This church was an amazingly blessed church. And yet it was unhealthy. It was dying. It was uncontrollable. What was going on there? Every time Paul would deal with one thing, there would be something else that would come up. There was division. There was rampant sin. There was just uh, chaos going on in their services. There, there were marital problems. There were people suing each other in the church. This was going on. And Paul, I think, at some point realized what this church needs is to be ministering to each other. This is a self-focused, self-consumed, dead church. And they need to begin ministering to one another. That's their problem. And that's, I think, why he began to write and emphasize so much on ministry and on serving each other and blessing each other. Because that was their problem. And you know what? This principle, you guys, It's true in our church as well. If our church or we personally become self-consumed, if we become self-focused and we don't maintain a heart to minister to people and reach the lost, we will have these problems. We will have these difficulties. You see unhealthy churches. You see churches with division. You see churches with factions and backbiting and and splits and all kinds of things going on and rampant sin. And you wonder what's going on in that church. And I'll tell you what happened and what went on in that church is that there was too much of a focus on self. There was too much of an inward focus rather than an outward focus. And I've been a part of churches that it was all about inward in reaching. And there's nothing wrong with inreach. It needs to happen. You need to fellowship. You need to get together and study the Word. You need to get together and worship. I mean, that's what we do. But if that's all that we do, if that's our only focus and everything that we create is just another potluck, just another barbecue, just another time to hang out and have a good time, it will be an unhealthy church. And it won't be what God intended it to be. And I remember being told as a young pastor that there comes a place in the church where you're ready for outreach, but you've got to get to that place. When you first start a church, you can't do outreach. It's all in reach and you've got to get the people mature enough, and you've got to get the church to a certain place. Then you can do outreach. And that concept never resonated with me. I always thought there's something wrong about that. I just don't know what it is. I mean, it seems right on a few levels, but then it seems wrong on a lot of other levels. And I thought, where is this place? Is it a number that you need to get to when you get to this number of people? Then you can be doing outreach or, you know, is there something that happens, you know, like do is there little light bulbs that come on on people's top of their heads, you know, that says, yep, they're ready now. It's time to do outreach. Or maybe what it is that is making you think that they're not ready is that they're not doing outreach. And so it's like this vicious cycle. And then you're never ready. And when I came to plant this church, I thought, you know, God can minister and God can reach this community with five with fifty with a hundred with a thousand that's what I see in the Bible I see God taking a, you know a guy like Gideon and whittling his numbers from thirty thousand to three hundred and I see Gideon going what in the world is going on here thirty thousand wasn't enough we're facing the Midianites they have an army that was beyond number. You couldn't even count it. It was so big. And he's going, 30,000 was, you know, pretty risky. Now you're wanting us to go fight with 300? And God's like, yeah, because I want to get the glory. And so, you guys, there isn't a certain number. There isn't a certain place. We need to be doing outreach. We need to be reaching the lost. We need to be ministering to people from day one. From day one of your Christian walk. Now, obviously, you're not going to be pastoring a church or leading a ministry from day one. But you can be involved in ministry from day one. I think it's a a concept that is wrong. That the church has to come to a certain place before it can begin reaching out. And I think Paul understood this concept. That outreach and ministering to people and blessing people is paramount to the vitality and the success of any ministry. And that's why Paul placed such an emphasis to the church at Corinth. He's like, if you guys want to get yourself out of this hole that you've dug for yourselves, start reaching people with with the love of Christ. Start ministering to people. Start blessing people. And the same is true in our own life personally. And in our text, I want us to, to notice three things this morning. Three things about ministry. Three more principles of ministry. Our text is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. And we're going to see three things. First, the benefits of ministry. I think we all like benefits. Benefits are good. We want benefits. Well, here's some benefits of ministry. Second, the right perspective in ministry. And third, the proper vision in ministry. Well, the benefits of ministry. Let's read our entire text and then we'll go back and look at these things. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding, and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And so in verse 16, we see the benefits of ministry. And they are really twofold here. There's two benefits of ministry that Paul details for us. First of all, he says, therefore, we do not lose heart. And so the first benefit of ministry is not losing heart. What does it mean to lose heart? Well, it means to give up. It means to be discouraged. It means to be depressed, disheartened, disillusioned. Paul says one of the benefits of ministry is that you won't be depressed, discouraged, disheartened, disillusioned, or whatever D word you can think of. You don't have to watch TV very often, especially uh, sporting events, to see that the best-selling drugs, legal drugs, are sex-enhancing and depression-defeating. I mean, those two types of drugs are just, you know, at war with each other as to who can be the best-selling. I don't know the names of any of the depression. I always forget them, you know, but they're out there. And then, of course, you know... Um, You can list off all the sex enhancing drugs, but the depressing, defeating drugs, they are a multi-billion dollar industry. Everybody and their sister's cousin is on something and is buying something. And I want to say this, I want to say that there is a place for people that have real chemical imbalances. I know that there's people that have mental issues. And I'm not at all speaking to that. What I am speaking to is that we are living in a society that is trying to cope with depression in the wrong way. Trying to cope with discouragement in the wrong way. People come to me all the time. Not all the time, but, you know, often. And, you know, they're discouraged, they're depressed, and they they want help. They want to know what's the solution. And something that I often say to people is, are you serving anyone? Are you involved in ministry? Are you being a blessing to other people? And very often, those people that are discouraged, that are depressed, that are defeated, they aren't. Their life is self-focused. Their life is self-consumed. Their life is all about them. And what they've found Is that even though the world says look out for number one, that is the pathway to fulfillment and happiness. What they found is that it's the exact opposite and that they have now lost heart. They're now discouraged. They're now depressed. The, The college education that now gave them the job that they wanted to have, they've now found out that that didn't bring them happiness. The... The spouse that they thought would fulfill them didn't fulfill them. The material possessions that they thought would make them happy, the new car, the bigger house, nicer clothes, whatever, it didn't fulfill them. And now they've lost heart. And you guys, if we want to remedy the loss of heart that you may be experiencing, the depression that you may be going through, it comes by serving people, it comes by ministering to people. Paul says it's one of the benefits of ministry, not losing heart. And you guys, you can't buy this, it's not for sale, but it is available, it's there for you, and it will radically change your life when you begin to bless somebody else when you begin to get your eyes off yourself and place them on other people. It's not found in a bottle. It's not found on a car lot. It's not found in a real estate magazine. But it is available to us. And it's so simple to just begin using some of your time to minister to other people. To disciple that new believer. To volunteer. To uh, help at the Harvest Festival. To teach Sunday school. To hand out bulletins. To go and work at someone's house on one of the work days. To be a part of Quest and minister to people in the community that may never show up to church. To help out at Sunfest. You guys, it will bless you. And you know what will happen is that all of a sudden, one ministry won't be enough for you. One opportunity won't be enough. You'll want more and more, and it will be the best hobby that you've ever been a part of, you've ever had. The other things that have been consuming your time won't be so appealing. You'll want to go to Mexico. You'll want to be a part of outreach opportunities. Nobody has to twist your arm. If your arm has to be twisted, then you shouldn't do it. That's the first benefit to ministry is not losing heart. When we talk about being a blessing, we talk about ministering to other people. We talk about serving and, you know, going and helping someone remodel their house. And I mean, that's a lot of work. It's a lot of effort, but then you come out of it and you received more than you ever gave. Because your heart has been changed. You've now gone from depression to joy. Because when we minister to other people, it takes our eyes off of us. I don't know why people don't realize. That going and talking to somebody about your problems and about your past and digging all that stuff up doesn't really help. I don't know what help there is to be reminded about something that you don't really need to focus on. Or what I love, and this is my favorite thing in the world, is when... I hear people say that, yeah, I went to a professional and he told me about something that happened to me that I never knew about. I'm thinking, why did you need to know about it then? I mean, are you are you like, you know, we already know you're crazy because you went to see a professional, but now you're really crazy. Are you serious that you really think that this thing that you didn't know about that was somehow in your subconscious is now Helping you because you realize it? And now you're going to get therapy for something you didn't know you had? Or that it happen to you? I mean, come on. that's crazy. It's not going to help you to focus on your problems. It's going to help you when you begin to bless other people. And the second benefit that we find here, Paul says that his inward man was being renewed day by day. That's the second benefit. He says, our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. The outward man is perishing. I mean, if you're over 30 years old, you're well aware of that, that your outward man is perishing, that things aren't getting better. You know, you were at top shape when you were 17, 18, 19 years old. And now that you're, you know, 30, 40, 50 or whatever, now you're not at top shape. You realize that you've begun to digress and to decline physically. Things hurt that you didn't even know you had, you know, and your back hurts and things are expanding and growing that you don't want to grow. You know, I read this thing that said your eyes always stay the same size, but your nose and your ears grow until you die. And so, you know, the older you get, your outward man is perishing. It's not getting better. And yet, we have the opportunity to have our inward man being renewed daily. And so, yeah, this outward shell, this tent, as Peter calls it, it is declining. It is getting worse. But your inward man can be improving. You have control over that. You have no control over your physical body. Yeah, you can work out and you can take vitamins and you can exercise and eat right. And we ought to do those things. And I should do better at that, honestly. But you know what? I know people that were just like the biggest health nuts in the world and died at like 40. You know, you just don't know what's going to happen. And our outward man is perishing, but our inward man, we have control over that. And we can be being renewed day by day. That's a benefit to serving other people. And you might think, well, I thought that was a benefit to just being saved. Isn't my inward man renewed because I know Jesus? Absolutely true. When you came to know Christ, your inward man was changed, it was transformed. It was brought from darkness into life. It was brought or into light, it was brought from death into life. But notice what Paul says. He says that he was being renewed day by day. See, there is an initial transformation. But if you're living off of that, then you're stagnant and stale and dry and dead, even as a believer. Because, yeah, you've been transformed and you may be receiving, but there's no outlet for your life. And so you become like the Dead Sea. And there's no daily renewal. There was a complete transformation, but then there's no daily renewal. And that daily renewal is a benefit of serving other people, of being a blessing to people, of spending time with Jesus and fellowshipping with Him. And when you're doing that, when you're fellowshipping with Jesus and He's renewing you, and you're being filled with the Spirit on a daily basis, that compels you to want to go and give that away. And then when you give it away, you get more. And then you give that away, and you get more. But if you just keep what you have, you don't get anything fresh and new. And then you sound like those people that say, yeah, well, ten years ago this, and five years ago that, and six months ago I did this, and and I think, man, I don't want to live in the past. I don't want to live the rest of my life off of the ministry that I did when I was 20. I don't want to be excited about the ministry I did five years ago. I don't want to live off that. I want to be excited about what God's doing right now in my life. Guys, if you're talking about the past all the time, and that's what the reference you have or your walk with the Lord, something's wrong. There's a fresh vitality that needs to take place. The Bible talks about singing a new song to God. God wants our relationship with Him to be fresh and new, and He wants to renew us day by day. And you guys, it's a benefit of ministry. And I want you to notice something. I want you to notice the first word of our text, first word of verse 16, therefore. Therefore. These benefits are connected to verse 15. Therefore, is a connecting word. It means in light of what came before this, right? Well, what came before verse 16? Paul said, for all things are for your sakes. Ministry done for unselfish reasons that all things are for your sakes. Ministry done for unselfish reasons, when it's for others, will bring an encouraged heart and will bring inward renewal. However, ministry that's done for selfish gain, ministry that's done to promote yourself, to make you look better, to put another notch in your belt. Ministry done for that will just bring more emptiness and more defeat. Because you're looking for ministry to make you happy. And it won't do that. If you're doing it for selfish reasons, it will bring the same defeat that you had before. But when we go into ministry looking to simply bless people and minister to people, it will bring these things in our life. It's a natural byproduct of it. It's an amazing thing. The second thing I want us to notice in our text this morning is the right perspective in ministry. The right perspective in ministry. Look at verse 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. This verse is all about perspective. Because Paul describes his difficulties here as light and but for a moment. And I think to that, How is this true, Paul? How can you say this? Because in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, you talk about your ministry experiences. You say that you were stoned and beaten, that you were shipwrecked, that you were almost to the point of starvation, that you were hated by your peers, that you were rejected by your family. Paul says there that he experienced deaths often. I mean, how many of us can say that? That you've experienced deaths often? Normally, it's like, I've experienced death once, and that's all that I ever want to experience. Paul says he experienced it often. He was left to the point of death more than one time from being beaten and stoned. Amazing. Paul, how can you say it was light and but for a moment? Because when I read of your life, I mean, look at chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians. Paul said that we had the sentence of death in ourselves. He said that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength we despaired even of life. How can you say, Paul, that your difficulties were light and but for a moment? Because when I read about the things he went through, I would have to say they were Heavy. And they lasted his whole ministry. How can Paul say this? Well, I think Paul can say this because of his perspective. Because he had the right perspective. Look what he says after he talks about his light affliction, which is for a moment. He says, it's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Paul can say that his difficulties were light and but for a moment because he knew, you guys, they were working for him. He knew that these things were working for him, that they were making him a better person. They were making him a better minister. They were making him more like Jesus. Well, how were they working for him? Well, he tells us they were working a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Far more exceeding doesn't read real well in English, and I don't think it reads real well in Greek. Paul was making a point. This isn't good grammar here. This is emphasis. Far more exceeding. In other words, it'll blow your mind. It'll be beyond your comprehension. It'll be something that you could never imagine. The thing that you think is ruining your life is actually improving your life if you'll see it that way. If you'll embrace it. It can be a blessing instead of a bummer. Paul says it was working a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And you remember back in Exodus 33, I've referred to it before, that Moses prayed there. He said, God, show me your glory. I want to see you. I want to know you. I want to be touched by you. Lord, show me your glory. That word glory there in the Hebrew is kabod. It could be translated weight. It holds the idea of a signet ring from a king. And when the king would send off documents or send off merchandise around the world that belonged to his kingdom. They would place hot wax on that item. And then the king would make an impression in that hot wax with his signet ring. And the word for that, the word for that procedure was kabod. A weight. Translated glory when Moses asked, God, show me your glory. Translated weight here, when Paul says an eternal weight of glory. It's the same idea, even though they're different languages. It's the same idea in Hebrew and in Greek. It means to make an impression. And what Moses was saying and what Paul is saying, is God, make an impression on my heart. God, change me. God, I I, want to see you. I want to see your glory. I want to see you for who you really are. And the way that will happen, you guys, we can pray that prayer. But then we need to embrace the way God wants to make it happen in our lives. The way that it will happen is through trials and difficulties and hardships. That's how God will make you more like Him. That's how God will mature you. Certainly He uses His Word. Certainly He uses Bible teaching. Certainly He uses prayer. Certainly God can use a seminar or a book or a friend. But you guys, I want you to understand something. The primary way in which God will bring maturity into your life, the primary way in which God will show me His glory and make an impression on my heart is through trials and difficulties and hardships. And if we kick against them, we'll be left immature. We'll be left without an impression in our heart. And Paul said here, man, I could see them as light. I could see them as but for a moment because I knew they were working for me. They were working for me to make an impression in my heart, to show me God, to make me more like Him, to mature me. You guys, this is revolutionary. This ought to change your life. This ought to change the way you look at things. This ought to change your perspective. This is the right perspective. Don't run from those things. Embrace them. And let God do His work through them. That's why Paul could say it was light and but for a moment. Because they were working for him. Think about a business owner, an employer. He's got some employees and You know, what's the purpose of having employees? They make you money. If employees don't make you money, then you shouldn't have employees. If they're not serving you and helping you to enhance your business and make your business more effective, then you don't really need them. And so when an employer has employees that are making him money, that are making his business more effective, when he begins to have problems with them, when they begin to give him some difficulty, Guess what? He thinks to himself, they're working for me. They're helping me. They're a benefit to me. So I'm going to sit down with them. I'm going to help them through this because they're a benefit to me. They're working for me. However, if you're not a benefit to your boss or you're an employer and your employees are not a benefit to you and they're not making you money, when they begin to give you problems, Guess what? You're not so excited about helping them through it. You're not so excited about seeing them work through this. It's like, you know what? You were late for the third time and I really don't need you anyway. And so hasta go Because it's, that's the perspective that you would have as a business owner. I'm totally separating this from any kind of ministry. I'm just talking about logical business mindedness. Employees are either helping you or they're not helping you. And when an employee begins to give you trouble and they weren't making you money to begin with, they're down the road. And that, I think, really illustrates Paul's point here. Trials, you guys are an employee of yours and they are a benefit to you. They are working for you. They're blessing you. You don't see it. You don't know what's going on. But it's there. It's happening if you allow it to. Allow those things to make an impression in you. To change you. The third point I want to make this morning is found in verse 18. It's the proper vision in ministry. Proper vision in ministry. Well, would you not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen? It's an interesting statement. Paul says, I'm not looking at the things that I can actually see with my eyes. I'm actually looking at the things that I can't see. Because the things that I can't see are eternal. And the things that I can see are temporary. That's what he says here. There's lots of talk about vision in the church. That's what I want to focus in on in in this verse. And the, the point I want to make is the proper vision in ministry. Because there's lots of talk of vision in the church. It's kind of a buzzword in the church. And I'm not a big fan of buzzwords. Just not my style, not my personality. You know, I almost go the opposite way of trends that I see happening in the church. And, you know, throughout the years, there's been many. There's been some very recently. And people ask me, are you on board with that? And I said, no, not really. Just don't feel like that's what God's doing for me. If, If that's what God's doing for you, great. But then I see people picking up on the buzzwords. You know, purpose, vision, vision casting, relevance. Not not, not a big fan. The word's there and, and we can use it, and but I, I don't like to use it because somebody else is using it. And I think that vision is a really misunderstood principle in the church. Because proper vision, you guys, proper vision is not... Our plan on how to grow the church. I, I had a pastor tell me. I, I said, "Hey, bro, how are you doing?" Oh man, we just got through two years of planning how to grow our church, and immediately I was like depressed. I was thinking, two years, man, the the things that you could have been doing in those two years, rather than planning and plotting, and you know, and, and who am I? I, I don't judge. But I just think for me, that man, that would be discouraging, discouraging for me. But I don't think that's vision plan, how to build the church or the building project. You know, here's our vision for this thing. I don't think that's vision. Vision involves focus. And I think focusing on how to grow the church, I think focusing on how to get a new building, I think focusing on how to get more money flowing through the ministry how to get tithes up. I think focusing on any of those things is the wrong focus. Because those things aren't necessarily bad. Building projects, money, church growth, those are good things. They're needful. Who doesn't want their church to grow? Who doesn't want their ministry to thrive? Who doesn't want... To have more resources at their disposal. I mean, let's not lie. I mean, we want those things. But is that our focus? It shouldn't be. Because proper vision, you guys, proper vision is not only what we focus on, but it's what we don't focus on. We've got to be very careful that we're focused on the right things. Not only in ministry, but in our personal lives. we're focused on the right things. And I think for many of us, our vision of success, whether it be personally, whether it be in the church, our vision is a lot of times completely wrong. Our vision is, well, this church will be successful when it gets to this many people. Or our lives will be successful when I have this job, or when I get that house, or when I can drive that kind of car, or when I can get rid of my current spouse and get the one I always wanted. 60% of marriages are ending in divorce. And then did you know that more like 80 to 90% of second marriages end in divorce? It doesn't get better, it gets worse. Somewhere along the line, you realize that it was your problem. You were focused on your spouse and you should have been focused on yourself. Improving your role. Becoming a better husband or a better wife. It's amazing how that when you begin to focus on becoming a better husband or a better wife, how all of a sudden your spouse just improves dramatically. It's an amazing thing. We're focused on the wrong things a lot of times and our vision is totally out of whack in the church, in ministries within the church. People describe success in ministry solely by numbers. We are so numbers driven. How many were there? How many showed up? How many got saved? How many, how many, how many? And I think it's only been recently in my own life and I hope this is true but that I have in a sense been freed from this mentality because numbers don't equate to success in any ministry. Success is people being ministered to. Being blessed. People growing in their walk with Jesus, becoming more like Him. And when we can divorce ourselves from the wrong focus, we will then have the right vision for our lives, for our ministries, for whatever. And Paul tells us the way that he did that was that he didn't focus on temporary things. He focused on eternal things. And there's two ways to apply this. Two very simple ways that we can apply this proper focus that will lead to proper vision. First of all, don't focus upon material things, temporary things, things that you can see. It's very easy for us to do that because it's what's there. It's what's tangible. But they'll only disappoint. They'll only let you down. The Bible tells us that we need to store up our treasures in heaven. And you guys, when you do that, it will not only enhance your life eternally by storing up your treasures in heaven because you're going to be rewarded, but it will enhance your life now. When you're heavenly minded, it will change your life today. That's where the abundant life is found, is by not focusing on the things of this earth, not focusing upon what you can see but focusing upon what you can't see on eternal things. But I think more in line with the context is the second way in which this applies. And that is that we don't focus upon the things that we can see in our trials. Focus upon the unseen in your difficulties and it will change your life. Focus upon what God is doing through you instead of the difficulties along the way. You take, for example, a Sunday school teacher. And she just has a horrible class. Kids are running everywhere, throwing stuff. You know, they tied her up, lit a fire, you know. And she just walks out of there just totally discouraged and ready to quit. And if she focused on that class, if she focused on what happened that day, she would quit. And that's why people quit. It's why pastors quit. Because they're focused on the wrong things. But if we say, you know what? This is an incredible ministry. This is an incredible opportunity for me to share the love of Christ with these kids or for me to Do whatever it is. Apply it across the board, no matter what it is you're doing. This is an incredible opportunity for me to bless people. And I know that God's using it, even though I don't see it. I know that He is. I know that He's asked me to do this. He's called me to do it. And I know it's necessary. And I know that God is doing a work. I can't see it. I mean, it's completely out of my radar screen here. But I know that it's happening. You know, if we have that kind of vision and focus, it will change the way we raise our kids. We'll see that, you know what, God's going to do something here. We might not see it right now when they're two and four and six or sixteen. But man, when they're 30, I'm going to see it. It'll be worth it. It'll be a blessing. It'll be eternal. I might not see it now, and I might not understand what God's doing, and it may be very difficult, but I've got to quit focusing on what I don't see. Or I've got to quit focusing, excuse me, on what I do see, and begin to focus on what is unseen on the eternal things. That's proper vision and ministry. Vision isn't how we can build a bigger building or how we can buy a better house or how we can have a five-step program to owning our house free and clear. Hey, those, those are fine and good things. But if that's the focus of your life, if that's your vision, If that's how you define success, you'll be sorely disappointed when you reach your goal. I mean, I always thought, man, I will be happy when I'm in full-time ministry, when I'm the pastor of a church. And you know what? I'm here. And it doesn't bring me happiness. It doesn't bring me joy. It's not success. Nobody cares. It doesn't make me famous. And what I've begun to realize in my own life recently is that my relationship with Jesus is what makes me successful, is what makes me happy. Is what brings me joy. And anything else. Anything else has to flow out of that. Any other success in my life. A successful marriage. A successful church. A successful ministry. A successful you fill in the blank. It has to be an outflow. Of your relationship with Jesus. There's no success outside of that. And until we can understand that, you guys, we'll be defeated and discouraged. Success isn't over the next hill. Just talk to people who have been over every hill there is possible, and now they're headed for death. Talk to them. And they had all of it. Oh, if I could just get married, if I could just have kids, if I could just get that job, if I could just make this much money, if I could just retire... And now life's over and you realize the pursuit of all those things didn't make you happy and you missed out on what truly would make you happy along the way. Guys, let's not miss it. Some of us have an opportunity to live an abundant life for a lot of years. Some of us, maybe we've wasted a lot of years, but it's never too late. It's never too late to begin to grasp a hold of what truly will make us blessed people. It starts today. Paul is a man that defines this. In Acts chapter 20, Paul is heading back to Jerusalem after being on the mission field for many years. And Paul says that he knew that chains and tribulations awaited him. Just knew. He knew when he got back he was going to be arrested. He was going to have a difficult time. It wasn't going to be a vacation when he got home. And I think when I read that in Acts chapter 20, I think, OK, Paul, you knew that you were heading home and it wasn't going to be pretty when you got there. How about taking a different boat? You know, like maybe discover America, you know. Uh, how about like just staying in Ephesus? Not Paul. Paul said, no. I know that trials and chains await me and tribulations are going to be there when I get there. But he said, none of these things move me. None of these things move me. It would never deter me from what I know God is calling me to do. I'm not going to miss out on what's in front of me because I'm feeling sorry for myself. In fact, along the way, as Paul was traveling back to Jerusalem, because he had this mindset that none of these things move him, he stopped off in Miletus and he called for the elders of the Ephesian church, and they came down there and Paul ministered to them. And he blessed them. It's amazing, because if I were Paul, I think I would be on the boat worried sick about myself. It's going to happen to me. How's this going to turn out? Am I going to die? Am I going to be beat? Where am I going to be taken to? How's this going to work out? I want to know how this is going to work out. You know, we go on mission trips. We we want to know every detail. We want to have it all spelled out for us, right? Because that's how we are. Paul said, look, I'm not going to miss out on the blessing that's right in front of me because I'm feeling sorry for myself. Because that's a huge lesson. Whatever you're going through right now, difficulty wise, there's something right in front of you that God wants to do in your life. There's a blessing that God wants to give you. There's a ministry opportunity. And if you're feeling sorry for yourself, if you're moping and complaining and down in the dumps and your eyes are turned upon yourself, you'll miss it. You'll miss it. And it will never be there again. There today, that opportunity, you'll have other opportunities, but I want to seize that one. I don't want to miss it. God, in the midst of my trials, help me to say with Paul, none of these things move me. None of these things dissuade me from what you're doing. I want to minister to people. I want to be like Jesus, who, knowing that the next day he was going to be crucified, got together with his disciples and had a meal. And he said, I have earnestly desired to eat this meal with you. What? Are you serious? I think I would have been saying, man, I've been dreading this for 33 years. It's here. You know, I'm God. I knew it was coming. And now we've got to face it. You know, can you guys like, you know, pamper me tonight? Let's have a little, you know, party. Maybe you know, give me a massage, and you know, one of you guys plays guitar, don't you? And, you know, sing me some songs, and you know, bring me some truffles. And not Jesus. Jesus said, "No, I've earnestly desired to eat this meal with you, and in fact, I'm going to bless you." And he took the cloth, and he girded himself, and he washed the disciples' feet. You guys, I look at Paul and I hear him say, none of these things move me. I see him ministering to the Ephesian elders as he was going to be beaten and imprisoned. I see Jesus washing his disciples' feet with the cross only hours away. And I think, man, that's not me. My life isn't that. My life is selfish. Self-consumed. You Guys, these things... Change your life. These are such great lessons for us. Let's stand and pray together.